Thanks for listening to GateWorld Interviews. What you're about to hear is an interview that we conducted with actor Patrick Curry back in 2018. This was at the GateCon convention in Vancouver, British Columbia. So it's obviously a pre-pandemic conversation. Our thanks to our friends at GateCon and to Patrick for sitting down with us. You can watch the full video version of this interview over at GateWorld.net or on our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. Patrick Curry, so glad to have you on GateWorld. We know you, of course, most as the Replicator Fifth. Mm -hmm. Lots of roles on the show. I want to talk about uh, the sort of different kinds of experiences that you've had on SG-1 over the years. Uh, But first, we're here at GateCon. What's been your experience of interacting with fans and meeting the people who, maybe when you're shooting the show, feel like they're at such a distance on the other side of the screen? Um, well, it's great. I mean, it's uh, it's just it's overwhelming and it's shocking. Like everyone uses the fans all use the word family, and after having been to I think twelve conventions now, like you get it. These people have been together for years. I've seen the relationships grow, and it's hilarious because they start forming these bonds with us. You know, and we unconsciously do as well. It's just a familiarity. So all of a sudden, they find themselves behind the scenes. Um, of the profession that we have and we start to actually appreciate how lucky we are to do what we do and now that net I, the, I think it's on netflix stargate is on netflix at least in canada um there's a whole new world of fans who are like you know i'm a lot older than i was when i shot the show but they're still treating me like young fifth you know yeah, they're discovering uh, it for the first time yeah and you can see it in their faces right and it's just like the, it's just the magic of acting it's amazing Okay, so here's my story. Uh, My wife and I, our very first time to set the Bridge Studios was at the start of season eight of SG-1. Uh, They were shooting a little episode called New Order, and we were totally green, fresh off the boat, uh, walking on our first Vancouver uh, lot, and here comes this guy walking across dressed like a replicator. And it was fifth. Start us, if you would, with season six with unnatural selection and figuring out who not just fifth was with, with respect to the other replicators, but who he was as this was the birth of a new species mm-hmm. with the human form replicators. Yeah, I mean, Andy, Andy was talking yesterday about this. Um, she's the Wraith Queen. You kind of get to create a, a race, you know, like you get to establish how this character is right and the big thing about fifth was that he was the fifth he was the first one the experiment was human emotion right and you know i'm an actor so (laughs) it's like go for it and uh i did i got to play all the, the 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 heights of emotion you know he's pretty much an adolescent brain he's just feeling all of these feelings for the first time ever and i didn't have to be guarded i didn't have to be an adolescent in our world has to feel their feelings, then monitor them and, and adjust them for the environment that he's in. Whereas Fifth didn't have to do that. He just had to get the information, feel the feelings and respond, which he did, which is why he ends up looking like a villain um, in some people's eyes. But he really is just responding to our childish inability, I think, to, to deal with emotion when we're not taught to express it in a way that's, that's healthy. Um, so yeah, it was thrilling to be to be able to create him, and then have him take such a turn <laughs> so fast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's that vulnerability that he has in that first episode, 
is that easier to play or harder to play because you have to kind of feel your way into, like you said, a sort of childlike view on the world? It's, it's, it's up to the individual, um, depending how you work. I've always worked from a very emotional place and um, I let that guide characters um, more so than like working beats and units, I find, like, is a, which is the process of breaking down a script. It's easier if you can access those emotions. So it's not difficult for me. So uh, I prefer to play a character that's led by their emotions. Um, I auditioned for Stargate to play military characters like 16 times. And I just said to my agent, I'm not doing this anymore because yeah. it's not who I am as an artist. It doesn't ring as true. I was getting amazing feedback. Peter DeLuise one day looked at me after I did a, a scene of a military technician and he was like, how do you do it? And I was like, why don't you cast me? <laughs> but the truth was he knew. He was like, this guy's got something else that we that will find its home in Stargate. And he did. That was brilliant. Like, I loved Fifth, and it's endured for so long. I think one of the reasons for the show's longevity and its success was that Stargate casting was mm -hmm. so good at yeah. not just identifying good actors, but identifying the right parts for them. Yeah. And you'll hear a lot of stories in this town about actors who went in a million times yeah. until they finally got the right, right role. And this one was perfect casting. I mean, I cannot believe that I'm doing conventions and that I get like random emails and contacts from people who are affected by the performance. So, so fifth is left after your, your first episode trapped in a time dilation bubble. Did you think you would ever come back to the show? Well, no, like no. You got that call that, that Fifth is coming back. I was shocked. Um, I, did, I had no idea that he was coming back. I guess just because at some, some points in your career as an actor, you start to anticipate the worst. <laughs> you don't think it, it's going to happen. So I was just thrilled. I was thrilled, and I didn't know where I was going to take, take it or where they were going to take it. And it was just exciting to see what they came up with. They didn't know they were going to do a season seven. Then they did. They didn't know they were going to do a season eight. So they, they got to explore all mm -hmm. the characters in all these corners that, that a, a show with a shorter run might not have gotten to. Yeah. But you spent you spent some time with, with a lot of the cast. You spent, of course, most of your time with Amanda Tapping. Uh, can you just share a bit about that experience of, of working with her? Unbelievable. I mean, it's the, the, the relationships that you form on set are not real world the real relationships they're not real world relationships and it's and that's not a negative thing at all it's just that when you go to work in an office you're a certain kind of person and then when you go home you're a different person um, with actors we're all very much who we are we're doing our work together Amanda and I had a great bond and then we were able to work again she was my mentor for my first directing gig two years ago i won a contest and they got amanda to come and be my mentor and we had an amazing four days like it was just like there were moments we looked at each other and it was like this feels oddly familiar <laughs> and strange out of context yeah it was just an incredible uh, artist bonding experience and i learned a lot from her the very first thing we filmed was Maybe it wasn't the very first, but the speech where I'm talking about carrying them all back um, to their ship, mm. and she and I are talking. They'd run out of time that day, so they had to film us both at the same time. So um, Amanda was standing here facing the other way, and I was facing this way, and we had two separate cameras on us, mm. and we had to do the scene as though we were talking to each other, and I'd never experienced anything like that before. Yeah. 
and uh, she was just really patient and encouraging when I like kind of kept turning my head to like actually make eye contact like a human being but uh, she guided me through the little tricks there so it's great. Speaking in terms of playing this character from a place of emotion, when Fifth comes back in season eight, his emotions are obviously in a different place. And it does turn him into kind of a villain, but he's a, I think he's still a sympathetic villain. Share a little bit about coming back into the role and having Fifth be so different in, in where he's coming from and what he wants to do. It's interesting because when the fans talk to me about Fifth, they always reference him being evil and cruel and things like that because they love uh, Sam and he hurt her but they love Fifth at the same time and there's like this weird some of them ask me about it like someone yesterday got up and said thank you so much I never thought I could love a replicator <laughs> and, and I started laughing and I guess it's, like I said I, you just play the truth if you have a friend who's become a horrid person but you've seen what they've gone through and you can't help them and you know they have to find their own way and you have to watch them make terrible mistakes you do it you don't stop loving them you don't like it but you just do it and that's what i find with with the fans and you know it's a, a life imitating art it's really interesting to get all their perspectives yeah i gotta admit i was sad when fifth story came to an end uh, in Gemini in season eight, because he's betrayed by Replicator Carter, who he's he's created. I, it, can't Fifth just settle down on his own little little planet with a, a Replicator girlfriend that he made? You would think, right? <laughs> no, I mean I wish they uh, that that would be nice too, but no, that burst of light was the end of me. <laughs> yeah, but it was a big point in the the evolution of the series and the development of the bigger story arc with the Replicators being sort of a major force in the Stargate universe. And then the replicators, uh, just after your last episode, they, they participate in dealing the death blow to the Goa Uld. Fifth's part in that was sort of moving moving the, the train further down right. the line to tell the SG-1 story. Mm -hmm. It's been a few years now since Stargate. What's your, uh, your career path taken you since Stargate? Um, I'm writing and directing now. I have a... I've been a broadcaster shown interest in a pitch that I gave so they've contracted me for a second pitch which I'll be taking to Toronto in the next few months it's dystopian sci-fi so that's exciting and then I'm uh, working on a series that is a comedy series that I think we're going to try and self-fund so we have control over the content but it's Dan Payne and I are playing uh, two guys who are inadvertently married and it's uh, I think the Stargate fans are going to have a lot of fun with it we're going to screen it today at the convention cool very cool now, so you did multiple roles on, on SG-1 you did some under prosthetics yeah uh, tell us who who you played in secret who the people might not know I was Chaka I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's the one where they're with the Nakwada on the planet. With the, the Nakwada mine. Yeah. With, yeah, Enemy Mine. Isn't enemy it? Mine. So, yeah, so this is Chaka's return, right? Because Dion Johnson played in the first Yeah, he was off doing Shakespeare, and he couldn't get out of the contract long enough to come and do it. So they just asked me if I would do it, and I said yes. And it was an amazing experience, but back to back, I, actually, I did Eamon first. I played Eamon in Space Race. Yeah. And then uh, Chaka, which is good because the costumes got bigger, so I had a chance to get used to them. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting experience. Um, my first experience with prosthetics 
was horrible, so I almost yeah. didn't take the role. Uh, yeah, I'd done another sci-fi show, and something had happened with the prosthetic guy, and he had some personal problems, and he used half the budget for some other things, so he doubled up our headpieces. So I wore a piece that I didn't know I wasn't supposed to wear, and it was didn't fit my head. And when I took it off, my nose was black, because there was like a blood uh, oh, no. bubble at the end. It was terrible. Um, but funny in retrospect, <laughs> a good learning experience. But I ended up doing um, Eamon anyway, and that team is so professional. They were amazing, and uh, I had a great time. Both times I had to wear contacts, which was the scariest part because they're the size of a silver dollar, yeah. and someone you can has see them very well. Can you? You can. You can see fine, but you're also seeing the design of the iris as well so it's just it's just it's disorienting especially when your head's encased in plastic you know and then in the case of chaka you can't use your hands and your mouth has false teeth in it but you've got two assistants with you at all the time assistants two helpers with you um i would have one to help me go to the bathroom and uh one to take out my teeth whenever i started choking on them <laughs> so it was very romantic how long are you in the makeup chair for first safe chakra four to five hours so you got the first call time in the morning yeah three or four in the morning i think were my call times i think maybe it was four is the earliest but chaka was such a physical character mm -hmm. not just because of who the unas are but because of what dion had done in setting up the role in season four at this point in Chaka's history, though, right, he's, he's evolved a bit. He's become sort of a, an Unas politician almost. Yeah. Peter DeLuise is amazing. Um, he literally came to my trailer that morning and uh, he was like, all right, let's uh, show me your Chaka. And so he wanted me to walk. And then he just like got in there with me and like literally he was like a like a movement teacher and he just walked with me and he did it like musically and rhythmically and helped get into my body he's like a, he's a pretty amazing director um so he really helped me capture that because he'd uh worked with dion and and knew the spirit of the character so and so much of the unas who they are as a species and their language and their their culture comes from peter's head i think yeah yeah so he just he was a perfect guy to be directed by Eamon was funny. Um, <clears throat> it was just a funny episode. That's all I have to say. Um, I read a few line, uh, comments online where people were saying it was out of context with the series, kind of, and it was sort of... It was a different kind of episode. Yeah. yeah I really but as a, as a standalone, I just thought it was pretty damn funny. And my character, Chris and Alex and I, just it was... There's a lot of laughing on set. Yeah, you and Chris running around looking like... Uh, with those hats. I swear, man, <laughs> I couldn't look at him. It was just like, <laughs> like this bobblehead Chris with the hat on. It was just, it was hilarious. Yeah, it was good. And then Alex, of course, we were at the, I think it was the hydro building um, where we were filming at first and the makeup was really hot. <laughs> we started getting really tired and Alex started passing out. <clears throat> Sorry, Alex, if you don't think you were passing out, but you were getting woozy. Is that better? Um, so they had to lower his costume, so he was basically in like long johns. But it was just funny because you know it's your buddy who's an actor in alien makeup <laughs> in his underwear in the middle of a hydro plant. <laughs> and you're like, life is surreal sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Especially in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. 
The best comparison I've ever heard for Eamon as a character is Niles Frazier. Have you heard this? He's like, I know, right? Frazier of the Stargate universe. I know. I'm kind of proud. Somebody said to me, I don't know anyone who can make a lizard gay. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Niles Crane, excuse me. Yeah, Niles Crane. Yeah, someone said to me, a fan said to me, the first one was, my mom had a bet going that that was played by Niles um, from Fraser. And she's like, she lost. And I was like, yes, she did. And she's like, I knew it was you. But yeah, I don't know. I honestly let the makeup inform that character. There were a lot of restrictions with the makeup in terms of head movement and stuff like that. So I just kind of went with that. And I don't know where the voice came from, but uh, you know, it's, it's funny, yeah. What's, uh, just to kind of wrap up here, what's, how would you describe the Vancouver film and television scene these days? I know that over the course of the last 30 years, it's been a huge home for science fiction and fantasy television, right? Everything from X-Files to Battlestar to Stargate. Uh, what does it look like now and, and sort of, of how, do you, how do you understand yourself as part of the, the Vancouver scene? It's busy. It's always busy. But it almost feels like we're trying to find our footing again because with the with the whole um, online marketplace, uh, it changed the way that, that that movies are made and how many are being made, and that affects our union in terms of actors and who's being used and everything like that. So it's you got to find your place. I think I haven't found my place again. I'm not really sure what direction to take. So I took control and started making my own stuff. Um, I am shooting, I did shoot a little thing recently and I had a callback for a series regular on another sci-fi show. Those would have been great, um, but I'm the kind of person who's not going to sit around and wait for it to find me. I'll create it on my own because I don't want to do nothing. I love this industry and I love sci-fi. The show that I'm pitching in Toronto is going to blow your mind. It's, it's, it's really, really good. So yeah, but Vancouver's pretty sweet place to live. The industry's doing really well. Well, we're excited to see what's next, whether it's on screen or behind the camera. Thanks for taking some time with us. Thanks for having me.